0: We're going to continue our worship this morning with the preaching of God's Word. If you would, please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. We have been in a preaching series on the book of Hebrews, and the title of the message this morning is Jesus' Better Rest. Jesus' Better Rest. I want to begin just with this question, how, how do we actually find rest? Because often it seems that if we could just get out of this cycle of sickness, there would be rest. If we could just get a steady job with a steady income, there would be rest. Look around this room this morning, lots of different ways that rest might apply. For some, Getting married seems like, oh, that would be very restful. Others say, well, you know, if we could just tweak that situation, oh, it would be restful. If I could just quiet my brother or my sister more often, boy, the rest, that would come from that. If I could just get that new whatever, it would be great. And what we're saying is, ah, rest if i could just get finished with school or just get that project done then i could rest you know people that pursue divorce are thinking i that's what i see in that i see rest now there are some things that if changed in our lives make a huge difference a daily difference But if rest is conceived in any of those ways I just mentioned, it is so fragile. Do you see that? Because all it takes is one episode, one sickness, one loss, one relapse, one conflict, and we're right back in that cycle of looking and longing for rest. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel stood on the cusp of the promised land, and it was a promised place of rest, but there were giants currently occupying the land. They owned all the real estate, and they were daunting. And even though God had promised that that land He was going to bring them in, it did not look like a place of rest. It looked to them like rest was back. Rest was in Egypt. And that's what they said. Let's go back to Egypt. In a similar way, the recipients of this letter that we're looking at, the letter to the Hebrews, they were daunted by persecution. It had become more of a pressing reality. Friends of theirs were now in prison, who were formerly in church, sitting next to them. Now they're in prison. They themselves were having their stuff, their homes raided, their stuff confiscated. And so, for these, these original recipients of the book of Hebrews, they were looking and saying, you know what? Maybe rest is back there too. Back in Judaism. If they just went back to how life was before, it was, it was easier. Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is about where rest is found. It's not found in fixing our situation. It's not found in avoiding difficult things. Rest is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, the rest that we see in the Old Testament points to a full and final rest that is in Jesus Christ. And church, we are meant, we are created and designed to find rest that is joy and contentment and fullness and peace and comfort and harmony with God, real rest in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so let's read about this rest together in Hebrews chapter 4. But more importantly, church, let's make sure we are entering this better rest. That we don't just read about it, but that it becomes an operating reality in our lives. So, Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again He appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray together for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we all agree that there are little and big moments where we are looking for rest. And I thank You for directing us in Your Word. But I pray, Lord, that there would be, we would experience, even today, what it is to come to You and to find rest for our souls. I pray, Lord, for any who do not yet know You. It wouldn't just be a believing in things about You. It would be coming for rest. Resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So Lord, today I pray you would incline our hearts. And open our eyes. Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. And as we sang earlier today, this morning, Lord, satisfy us. You do satisfy us, but satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in you all our days. Satisfy us, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Just last week we we prayed for Carl. We prayed for Bob. We thank you that these brothers are here with us today. Thank you for the the common grace of of medicine and doctors and hospitals. Praise you for that. We just continue to lift up, Lord, those in our midst who can't be here today today due to some sickness, illness, or something that is just pressing on them. Lord, we pray for Your healing, for Your relief, for Your sovereign care over our lives. Lord, we sang this morning, You never fail us, and You never will. Help that, Lord, to continue to move from our mouths as we sing it to the bottom of our hearts, Lord, where we Desire things. He He never fails us and he never will. Lord, we pray you'd bless the efforts as these bags are taken to Shiloh, these bags of food that were given today. Lord, may these families not only be blessed by that, but Lord, I pray you would both meet their needs and lead them to the Savior, that they would know your care. Lord, we pray for Alpha. We just continue to lift up and, and we thank you, Lord, uh, for. Just that testimony that we heard about Alexis, Lord, thank you for working in her life. Thank you, Lord, that you knew what weekend she needed to visit. And we just continue to commit ourselves. It is so fun following you and knowing that you are over all things. Help us, Lord, to do that in all of our interactions. Lord, this morning, I just ask for your help to preach your word. And to serve these dear folks, Lord, these are folks for whom Christ died. And it is such a privilege, Lord, to be a church family together. So would you bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so far in the book of Hebrews, there's two dominant tones that kind of come through. A tone of encouragement and a tone of warning. And we've seen both of those so far in our series. So if this is your first time, you're kind of dropping into our series. We've seen a tone of encouragement back in chapter 1. Jesus is better than everything and everyone. And so we're encouraged to behold Jesus. In chapter 2, the tone shifts to a tone of warning. Where we're told to pay careful attention, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So Jesus is all glorious, He's better than everything, don't drift from Him. We saw that in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 opens with, consider Jesus. Consider who He is and what He has done, and let us hold fast to Him in faith. He's glorious. That's a a tone of encouragement. But then we find ourselves now, since chapter 3, verse 7, all the way through our passage this morning, It has another warning tone to it. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So we're we're warned once again. And if we ask the, the author, why? Why do we need to take care? What's at stake in taking care? I think he would answer a single word. Rest. Rest is at stake. God offers rest. But if people, if we, if any of us give way to a hard, unbelieving heart, we will not enter God's rest. We'll miss out on it. Now, before we jump into the passage, I want you to consider to me, with me, this is a simple question, but it's not to be passed over lightly, what is this rest? What is this rest? Rest is a theme that is woven throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. We get the first glimpse of this in Genesis. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. Our author actually quotes this in our passage. Genesis 2.2. Genesis tells us that God did, he, he created, and then He rested. And the goal of creation is this rest. God creates man to bring us into His rest. That is, into this peace with Him, joy in Him, fellowship with Him that lasts forever. And if Adam and Eve had not sinned, there would be this perpetual rest that continued. And so it's here in Hebrews 4, it's spoken of his rest or my rest. Rest begins with God. But because of the fall, Adam and Eve did sin and they were cast out of the garden. The curse that is given to Adam that he's going to work the land and it's going to bear thorns and he's going to have sweat and it's Anti-rest. The curse robs us of rest. Sin destroys rest. And so when God begins working at that point to bring people back to Him, he's, He's wanting to bring people back into that right relationship, that peace, that rest. And then from Genesis, we see rest starts small. There's these periods of rest. Each day, at least once per day, some some of you may more than once per day go to sleep, and in that moment, we're recognizing I need rest. Like I read the the Guinness Book of World Records said the longest anyone's ever stayed awake is like eleven days. That person must have been nuts. We need rest. We were created that way. And then you, we see in Exodus sixteen. God's people begin to observe a Sabbath, a weekly rhythm of rest where they work certain days and then they rest. And then we read of these periodic festivals where people would come away, retreat, and they would gather together to worship and fellowship and rest. And then every seven years was called a a Sabbath year and the land was to rest. There was no sowing or harvesting of the land. And then every 50 years, there was a a year called the year of Jubilee, and it was the kind of rest where debts were canceled, property returned to its original owners, voluntary slaves were then went free. It was a period. These are all periods of rest. And in the Old Testament, and our author picks up on this, there was a place of rest. It was called the promised land. It's what was signified. God brought Israel out of slavery, and He brought them into rest, into this promised land, Canaan. And so under Joshua's leadership, the people entered, took possession of the land, and we read in Joshua 21, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Sounds wonderful. Unfortunately, it was short-lived. Because it wasn't a problem with the land itself. It wasn't a place problem. It was a people problem. I don't know if you've ever gone on vacation make sure you're bringing everything with you, you get to that place, you take a deep breath, and then some conflict breaks out and you realize, oh no, we packed our sin on this trip. How did we we do that? That, That's the problem with Israel going into the promised land. It's unpleasant. So even though Israel entered the promised land, the promised land, and they rested. This theme of rest then continues throughout the Bible where people are longing, people are looking for that. Which then brings us to Jesus. And He is healing on the Sabbath and announces He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He says in Matthew 11, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is remarkable because the periods of rest and the place of rest point to Jesus, are fulfilled in Jesus. Rest is now possible because Jesus himself is the Lord of rest, the perfect rest. Just as Israel was brought out of slavery into rest, so Jesus brings people out of their slavery of sin and into a right relationship with God. Harmony, peace, comfort, rest. It's a better rest. And so what is this, you know, what is rest? Well, it's eternal life made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not a rest that's tied to this world, even though we begin to experience it now. We're not looking for its fullness here. or At least we shouldn't be. It's a restored relationship with God. But not everybody has this rest. And that's what Hebrews 4 is written to draw our attention to. Hebrews 4 speaks of people entering God's rest and not entering. So a second question this morning. How does one enter or fail to enter God's rest? Well, look at verse 3 with me. It says, For we who have believed enter that rest. We enter by faith. We enter by trusting Christ alone we who have believed enter that rest and so how does somebody fail to enter look at verse 6 since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience and then look at chapter 3 verse 19 the, the verse right before our passage it says so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, a person fails to enter into the promised rest on account of unbelief. We stop trusting. That's what Old Testament Israel did when they were on the cusp of the promised land. They stopped trusting that it was indeed promised land. Their unbelief was the first step, and then their disobedience soon followed. They first doubted God, and then they grumbled against God. Over the last couple of weeks, as we've been studying chapter 3 and 4, I've been thinking about what the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing at this point. It's like he's performing an autopsy on Old Testament Israel. Um. How did a million people die in the wilderness? And so like a good medical examiner, he's looking at and he does his job. He's like, well, they weren't killed by the giants that they so feared. No, they didn't die from thirst that they were grumbling about. It wasn't because they died from the hunger that they were grumbling about. Why? Why did they die? What was the cause of death that he fills in? And he fills in a hard unbelieving heart that's how they died it was a hard heart that led to unbelief that led to disobedience that then incurred God's wrath that's the progression the slippery slope so if we were to read the medical examiner form did they die on account of God's wrath yes did they die because they disobeyed God also yes Did they die because of unbelief? A third yes. Did they die because they had a hard heart towards the Lord? Well, yeah, that's where it started. So how does one enter God's rest? We enter by faith in Jesus Christ. And how does one fail to enter God's rest? By neglecting or abandoning Jesus Christ. You see, we were created for rest. We are looking for rest. The people around us, especially as you interact with unbelievers, they're looking for rest. They, they don't say that. They don't talk in those terms. But all the things they're going after or not going after, they're looking for rest. And the argument of Hebrews 4 is that rest is available. Look at verse 6 through verse 10 again. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now the point that the author is making by quoting Psalm 95 Is that Psalm 95 was written hundreds of years after Joshua had led the people into the promised land? But Psalm 95 is talking about some future rest for God's people. So the author of the book of Hebrews is saying that rest is still available. Verse 9 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. The original recipients were looking for it. You and I are looking for it. People who don't know the Lord are looking for rest. And God says, it's right here in my Son, Jesus. He lived the perfect life of obedience that you and I could not live. Talk about a treadmill. Talk about trying, trying to earn, trying to live. We can't, we can't. And so we cease from our works and we say, I'll take his obedience. And tomorrow, I'll take his obedience. And the next day, yeah, his obedience. He lived a perfect, obedient life. He died on the cross as our substitute. Trying to right the things we do wrong is another treadmill you'll never atone for it. You'll never do enough good to outweigh the bad. It's a vicious cycle. And so we rest in, no, He died for me. In my place condemned He stood. And I need that every day. Applying that, saying, no, I'm not going to get on the treadmill. I'm not going to try to to offset the good with the bad. Or offset the bad with the good. I'm going to rest. And he rose victoriously on the third day, church. Newness of life. Resurrection power. I mean, this, it's a game changer. And so he invites us to come to him by faith. Jesus says, come to me. And find rest for your souls. That is just a wonderful invitation. John Piper says this. He says, there is one door to the safe, peaceful, happy rest of God. The door of faith. Anyone who puts faith in God's promises, bought for us by the blood of Jesus, and is diligent not to throw away that faith, is part of the people of God. So it's like, what, what do I have to do? Believe. And you enter that rest. Faith is how we come. It's that essential. So, rest is not found in escaping all the difficulties of life. It's not when you have a buffer in your savings account. It's not when everything is quiet and you can take a nap uninterrupted, as great as all those things are. Some of you may enjoy one of those today. Some of you may try and be robbed of that today. These verses show us that when we are discouraged by how seemingly hard things are listen we are susceptible to the same unbelief these verses are trying to show us that when we are discouraged by how hard life is we are susceptible like old testament israel to unbelief because if you remember some of the recipients of this book they wanted to escape persecution That's a a good, understandable desire that you don't want people running in your house and taking all your stuff. That's a good desire. But they were giving way to unbelief. They were adding something bigger than having their house ransacked. I think in our quest for rest, church, we can be tempted to give way to unbelief as well. Perhaps in the quest for rest, you, you sin. And you think, "I, I just, just one click. Just one look. Just one per- purchase. Just one verbal lashing. It'll feel so good. I want rest. Perhaps the quest for rest, you give up. You know, a husband who's discouraged about the state of his marriage might give way to unbelief, and turn the nourish and cherish of of Ephesians 5 into tolerate your roommate. And he might think to himself, it's just too hard. I don't have grace for this. My my efforts are only going to go unappreciated. Listen, that's not what faith sounds like. That's what unbelief sounds like. That's what Old Testament Israel sounded like when they were on the edge of the promised land. I don't have grace for this. They didn't think that they could defeat the Canaanites in their own strength. And you know what? They were right. But when had they done anything in their own strength? The plagues of Egypt, that wasn't their own strength. That was God of grace. Them being brought out of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh That wasn't their strength. They didn't figure that out. God brought them out. The parting of the Red Sea. You stand in front of a sea. Yeah, how are we going to get across? I don't have grace for that. You're right. You don't. But the Lord gives grace and He parts that sea. Manna on the ground every morning. You just open your tent door. Oh, looks like grace to me. All they had to do was walk by faith. And the tragedy that's being pointed out in the wilderness generation is that they did not walk by faith and they did not enter God's rest. They saw these things. They didn't believe. And all of them died in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. Church, get this. A million people. It's like the population of Jacksonville, just under the population of Jacksonville, that many people perishing. Why did they perish? Unbelief. And so seeing this Old Testament tragedy, the last question then is, how should we respond to Jesus' better rest? How should we respond? And there's two responses in the passage, in fact, right at the beginning and then right at the end. So the first is, let us fear. Let us fear. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. God welcomes sinners into a joyful fellowship with Himself. I mean, we should never take that for granted. We should be amazed that that's the case. God welcomes sinners. Into fellowship with Himself? Yes! And we don't have to work for it. But we do have to come to Jesus. We can't come to on our own. We're not, we're not worthy to step into that. So we're to come and to rest in His finished work. But when you see a million people who had basically the same privilege that we have, not entering that rest, it, He says they had good news preached to them. And in fact, the word there, good news preached to them is the same. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's the word gospel. They heard the gospel. We heard the gospel. They didn't enter. What's going to happen with you and me? Are we going to assent to to faith? Are we going to come? And and so this not entering rest, it's to sober us. Let us fear. Fearing God, fearing God, The power of unbelief in our hearts. Fearing what happens when we give way to that. Oh my. Let me ask you, do you fear the power of unbelief? Do you fear that after you've seen God's faithfulness, heard God's promises, that you might not trust them and hold on to them? Faith is, it's mission critical. I remember something like this, my first job out of college. Some of you know this about me. So, I designed parts for power plants. Specifically, the part where the fuel comes into a turbine and is ignited. So, it's called combustion, combustion turbine. And uh, anyway, I worked at a building, true story, as far as you could see was cubicles. There's just all these nice, tidy, neat rows of cubicles. But between the aisles of the cubicles, in some of the cubicles, leaning against the wall, there were parts, big parts, like, you know, the size of a a large suitcase, uh, big parts, and they were parts that were from the turban. They did not work many of them were like deformed or had like holes blown out in them that obviously exploded and these were I saw these parts every day and so as I was learning I was you know newer to engineering and so as I was learning I'd be asking an older more experienced engineer about something and he would walk me over he's like here come come here look at this part over here yeah you see that that's what happens for what you're, you're having to, to size up right now. If you do that incorrectly, it's going to explode just like that. I was like, whoa, it's going to look like that. Um, one time I had to ask a, a guy about some fuel nozzles. And he said, well, he, he had one right there in his cubicle. He said, let me show you this. So you see these little dots of metal here? These are tack welds. He's like, that failed in a power plant in Lakeland, Florida, it went flying, that nozzle came off, went through the power plant, caused millions of dollars of damage and hours of outage. He said, Make sure you get that, make sure you get that weld right. I was like, Yeah. There's a healthy fear. And that's what, and that's what is happening here. He says, This is how you and I should read the Old Testament. People who don't know the history of God's people and are not appropriately informed by this history are doomed to repeat this history. They had the privileges. They saw God's power. They heard God's voice. They had the privileges and they doubted Him. So the promise of rest is still open. Let us fear, church lest we fall short of it ourselves. You know, and I've been a a Christian now for over two decades. Some of you, much longer than that, you've walked with Christ. And I am still very much convinced I I could fall away from the Lord. I have security of my salvation. We're going to see that in Hebrews. But the power of unbelief is so strong. And so it's like, Lord, keep me. Lord, help me. Lord help me to walk humbly with you and with others. What's the other response? Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now this this word this is a, a great word in the New Testament. Uh, It's also translated, be diligent, labor, take pains, make every effort, do your best. It's Greek word, spudadzo. Let us strive to enter this rest. Now, what's interesting is that in verse 10, it talks about rest in the past tense. It says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. But verse 11, rest sounds like it's in the future. Strive to enter that rest. So which one is it? Well, like many things in Scripture, it's both. We were saved. We will be saved. We have lots of those things in Scripture. And so this is a, we have already rested by coming to Christ, but we are striving because genuine faith perseveres. We're striving to enter his rest. I don't know how that hits you, but I mean, striving to enter rest is like an oxymoron. Resting is the opposite of striving. Well, what is this striving? Well, it's a call to continue in faith, continuing to trust who God is. Continuing to trust what God has said, what God has done. You see, faith is it's the major event of the Christian life. And it's not easy. In fact, unbelief is easy. Going away from God as a forgetful hearer, yeah, that's easy. Being overwhelmed by the difficulties that we have in life, and in a way, marginalizing, marginalizing God, yeah, that's easy. We've seen this already in the book of Hebrews, this this idea of drifting away. How do you drift? How does one drift? You You just go with the flow. You just let the current take you wherever. You drift. Striving is going against that current. Swimming up, making every effort says, I do not want to lose my reward. I do not want to to lose out on fellowship with God. No, I want everlasting joy with Him. I don't want to sit down mid-race. Rest is coming. It's ahead. I don't want to miss the narrow gate. I don't want to teach to others and myself be disqualified. I press on to make Christ my own. These are all striving phrases in the New Testament. So, Grace to Church, God offers rest in His Son, Jesus Christ. If we give way to a hard, unbelieving heart, we will miss this rest. So let us fear and let us strive to enter Jesus' better rest. That's the message of Hebrews 4, 1-11. through 11. If I can invite the worship team to return. If you are at all like me, there are times when my faith is small, struggling. It's like it's hanging on by a thread. In such times, we, we remember that God holds us and He holds our faith. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5 says that by God's power, we're being guarded through faith for a salvation. He guards us. He holds us. He strengthens our faith in Him. You know what's amazing is He's doing that this morning. That's actually a big part of why we gather and listen to God's Word. I don't know whether you notice it or not. God is strengthening our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And those times, church, where we grow weary of striving striving to enter that rest and you say oh but lord i'm i'm wearied i'm tired seems like every day i drift easily drift into unbelief i'm tired of striving let us remember together how it all ends it began with god resting revelation 14 says here is a call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That's what's coming, church, is how it all ends. We endure by faith and we experience the completion of Jesus' better rest. We hold on to Jesus by faith. And He says, 1 Peter 1.5, he, he holds on to us. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank You for how Your kindness leads us and we thank You for how Your kindness comes in the form of warnings like Hebrews 4. Lord, thank You. You, This passage could very easily say there is no rest available for anyone else. But rather, there is an open invitation and we praise You for that, Lord. We don't take that for granted that Jesus invites the, the weary the ones who are wearied by sin and have been looking for rest here in this life to come and receive something that's eternal and lasting and imperishable. And so we come to You. And we pray, Lord, that You would show Yourself strong. We we want to take heed. We want to fear. And we want to strive. Lord, Give us grace, and we thank You. There's nothing You're calling us to that You're not going to give grace for. When we say, I, I have no grace for that, in and of ourselves we don't, but with You we do. Thank You. Lord, I pray for any today who this is resonating in a way where they realize, you know, I've been looking to a lot of things other than the Lord to satisfy to give me rest. Lord, I pray You would lead them to the simplicity of faith in Christ today. That they might believe and enter that rest. and they might turn from their sin, turn from their striving, and know that there's no one too bad you can't save, and there's no one too good who doesn't need saving. We praise You. We thank You glorify you. Thank you for being the one who holds us. In Jesus' name, amen.